if you uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? I can't get enough of that quote from Brian Stelter. CNN's grandest pseudo-intellectual. I can't get enough of that. Total freedom for everyone? Well, we can't have that. That's just the worst thing in the world. How dare you think we could have absolute freedom for everyone? Well, that's just, that's just absurd, I tell you. Completely and totally absurd. It's stunning. Stunning to see the amount of people engaged in the levels of hate that they are for Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. How are we doing, everybody? Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com and, of course, Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. I was, I was looking for my harumph sounder there, Producer Ari. I couldn't find a harumph. Harumph, harumph, harumph. That was close enough. How crazy have, have people gone? Well, it's been a total meltdown. Liz Wolf joins us right now of Reason.com. Uh, she has got uh, the piece Elon Musk buys Twitter, Twitter's biggest egos melt down. And Liz, that's the story. I mean, never mind what uh, I guess everyday folk like you and me are doing on on Twitter where hashtag goodbye Twitter was trending yesterday and was hilarious and insane. The egos, whether it be at MSNBC or CNN and and, uh, political places, they've lost their minds here. Absolutely. We saw the now discredited Black Lives Matter activist John King calling uh, Elon Musk's uh, bid to purchase Twitter a white power grab, you know, white supremacy, implying that it's some kind of race relations thing. When in reality, we've never heard Elon Musk even talk about race relations in this country. It's not really on his radar. He's from South Africa, a place with a very different and troubled history of race relations. Sean King was was offering up stuff like that, uh, which is it's pretty uh, libelous, if you ask me. But then so many other people were just dissolving into hysterics, talking about how Elon Musk purchasing Twitter might be lethal. People might die from this. It's it's really astonishing how many people have lost their minds when, honestly, some of the changes might be relatively marginal. The changes might involve Elon Musk deciding not to deplatform the New York Post when they publish good reporting about the Hunter Biden laptop story. It might be things like that. It might be Donald Trump being replatformed or other people whose accounts have been permanently banned or suspended being replatformed. But we don't really know yet. And that's that's the point I have been making uh, here on the show, on my video series at, at Rumble. I am not holding Elon Musk up as some kind of savior because I haven't seen yet what he's going to do. What I have seen is the response to even the threat of what Elon Musk might do. And just the threat has led uh, to a level of insanity from Elon Musk, from from Ari Melber, and a whole host of others. Talk about the level to which uh, the the political left, or or let's call it the power brokers, maybe because maybe that's a better way to think of this. Uh, they see this as a threat to their fiefdom. Yeah, the thing that's really sad about this is the degree to which people sort of continuously descend into the most hyperbolic possible sensationalist rhetoric whenever there's any political issue that's polarizing, 
We saw this years ago with net neutrality debate, something that's very wonky that a lot of people aren't tuned into. But a whole bunch of people on the left said that, you know, people will die as a result of changes to net neutrality. That's not something that happened. And it is important that we be really careful with the types of things we say. In terms of how Elon Musk will change Twitter, there's a lot of interesting proposals being floated that a whole bunch of coders and and people on the tech side are very interested in, like making Twitter's algorithm open source, which allows a little bit more transparency in that arena and for people to understand the content moderation decisions that are making. So honestly, what Musk might be doing is bringing more of Twitter's operating processes out into the open, which is something people on the left should really be pretty supportive of. Talking to Liz Wolf of Reason.com. It is amazing to see the people who were just a few years ago the most interested in transparency now supporting the idea of big business and being completely secretive and not sharing the types of things uh, that you're talking about this this switch has been uh, stunning and and really incredible to watch except if you've been watching long enough extremely uh, predictable let me share this with you this was uh, Stu Varney this morning there on uh, on Fox and friends and he was mentioning a statement from senator elizabeth warren make it profitable make it dynamic make it go places and at the same time restore free speech when senator elizabeth warren tweets out that this is a danger to democracy you know musk is doing something right it's not a danger to democracy it's the possibility of restoring equality in political presentation the idea that the purchase of a company by somebody who was not ordained acceptable is a threat to democracy. And we have seen this now in a lot of this meltdown, uh, a, a lot of, of, of places. Uh, the, the very idea is certainly laughable that only certain people can own things, and that's uh, d- democracy. Uh, the, the chattering classes, the political classes, are we now going to see them say, well, now we have to investigate Twitter. Now we have to look into their practices. Now we have to question whether or not they're acceptable. Now we have to question whether or not there's 230 protection, Section 230. Are we about to see this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I think we're in for a time of rampant hysteria and all kinds of overreactions. I mean, look, I'm a libertarian. I'm, I don't perfectly conform to, to right-leaning beliefs. But generally speaking, when Elizabeth Warren says something, I oftentimes believe the opposite of whatever it is she's saying. Uh, it's not a matter of me doing that dogmatically or reflexively. She's just wrong about a lot of stuff. And so the fact that she's sort of heralding this as the death of democracy is absurd. Third, I mean, this is something we need to not lose sight of this here. I am excited about Twitter embracing free speech and moving in that direction. But frankly, millions and millions of Americans conduct their lives and their political debates entirely off of Twitter. These are people who care about what the school is teaching their kids and what's going on in their church and what's going on in their communities. And those aren't conversations that are, be ha- that are being had on Twitter. Twitter is primarily reserved for politicians and journalists and some people who are onlookers. But I think we, when, when we act like a change to Twitter is the death of democracy, what they're really implicitly admitting is that they're not paying attention to the millions of Americans who don't live their lives online.
One of the other stories you have over at Reason.com is about uh, YouTube algorithms. And, of course, there's been a question of can we see the algorithm? Can we make that, as you're discussing, transparent? Can we get an idea of what Twitter has been doing about silencing certain people, certain types of speech, certain conversations, etc.? cetera? Uh, a study that you looked at says that the algorithms on YouTube don't turn unsuspecting masses into extremists. Now, I didn't know that there were people who were saying that the algorithms are doing exactly this, although I think that people have said that things online can lead to extremism. What did the study say and what did it say to you? Yeah, so the basic argument for a long time, uh, and a whole bunch of tech reporters will recite this pretty uncritically, is that there are these normal users uh, who don't really have extremist beliefs who start using YouTube frequently and become super consumers, as they're termed, of the information there. And because of YouTube's algorithm giving them suggestions in the sidebar, they go down the path of watching increasingly extremist content and becoming radicalized. The study that I found, which was conducted by researchers at Dartmouth and Stanford and elsewhere, really uh, cast a lot of doubt on that theory and basically said that happens very rarely. Oftentimes, you know, normal users are not actually fed extremist content by the algorithm. If you're watching a cat video, guess what? You're going to be recommended more cat videos. You're not going to be recommended uh, conspiracy theory QAnon type things. And so I think it's really important that we separate out how big of a phenomenon this actually is. In fact, YouTube tweaked their algorithm a little bit in 2019 to ensure that their suggestions weren't sending people down these extremist rabbit holes. So this is actually an example of a social media company or, or a media consumption company making a change on their own and that change actually being very useful. And for whatever reason, we still fearmonger about it in the tech press. I don't know why people do this. Because it gives them a job. It fills column inches. I mean, there's a never-ending number <laughs> of reasons why people will decide to share a story. It's the same reason people buy IBM or Oracle. You can't get fired if you buy IBM or Oracle. You're never going to get fired if you're talking about the thing that everybody else is talking about. But when you see a story oh, like this... There's just definitely a, there's a dishonesty there. And you would think that reporters would be attempting to be a little bit more honest about these things because it's really important that we be clear and we be accurate about it. But, you know, whether it be Elizabeth Warren or reporters trying to keep their jobs, a lot of people aren't interested in that these days. That's where, you know, when you when you talk about the kinds of people who are on Twitter, I, I, I had to let that sink in for a minute. You talked about uh, journalists, you talked about um, uh, politicos and, and, and onlookers. I, I, I disagree. I do think that there are more than that. But when, when we get into the idea of, well, here's the algorithms don't turn people into uh, the, these ex extremists. When, when you realize that maybe in, to some extent social media doesn't have that much have an effect of an effect on our life, but it certainly drives a lot of news cycles. Is there a fear amongst those journalists that you have worked with, you talk about looking at some of these things uncritically, that the real problem is, is that Twitter has been such a driver of news cycle that if there's a change to algorithm or other people are allowed to get their messages out, the news cycle might change and that's unfavorable to a desired result politically. I totally agree with that. I think that's a very good theory. You even see that fear reflected uh, in fears about Substack, the independent journalism platform that really serves as, to some degree, a competitor, siphoning off some of the top talent from places like the New York Times or the Washington Post. Some of the voices where the newsrooms turn on them and their, their beliefs are a little heterodox or their political views don't perfectly con conform with the coastal elite consensus, 
those people have been pushed out of newsrooms at places like the New York Times. And now we're making a lot of money on this independent journalism site, Substack. But then you see journalists at these mainstream newsrooms criticizing Substack constantly. I really think we have to pay attention to, you know, are these things perceived as competitors? Are they threatening journalists' bottom lines? Maybe that's why so much of the coverage is negative on this. Right. You're talking about a place where both uh, Barry Weiss and Andrew Sullivan, I believe Andrew Sullivan exists on on, on Substack, and mm-hmm. you, you saw the Substack uh, VP of comms say, if you're somebody considering leaving Twitter because Elon Musk is going to buy it, please don't work here. So they did plant, to, to an extent, their flag. It's just you, you wonder whether or not it, like, like many of these other places, can survive the pressure that exists uh, on them. LizWolfReason.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz.